everybody, Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode. Uh, once again, I do not know the number of this because I have no idea when it's going to be uh, going up. But uh, we are going to be talking about the best picture of 1979, Kramer vs. Kramer, written and directed by Robert Benton, based on the novel by Avery Corman. I will now welcome in my co-host, Josh Long. Josh. Hi. How you doing? Good. I'm, I'm glad we're in the 70s because... Uh Glad we made it to the seventies, but I also love the seventies. So yes, I know you do. Yeah. What? I assume you love it purely from an artistic standpoint, not because you love Vietnam and Watergate, right? And disco. I, you know what? People are really hard on Watergate, but <laughs> but I think it was a great time for this got country. Got some stuff done. <laughs> you know, you just can't. You know, you just can't trust those Democrats. Sometimes you got to spy on. You got to steal bit. from them. Um, so yeah, uh, yes, we are into the seventies and you know, what's interesting with a couple of exceptions, I feel like the spirit of the seventies does not permeate the best, uh, the best picture winners. Mm. In some ways I'd say yes. In other ways, no, I feel, I guess, I guess it could be split up half and half because you start with Patton mm-hmm. and you get the French connection, which could, which is, uh, kind of of the time. Mm. You skipped one. No, French Connection 71. Oh, then, oh, never mind, never mind. Yeah. And then The Godfather. I got mixed up. And then, um, and The Godfather is kind of a modern sensibility of a classic the, thing. Yeah. The, then you get The Sting. Yeah. The Godfather does not feel like it comes from the 70s, but that's because right. it's one of those timeless movies. Yeah. Um, uh, you get The Sting, which, which doesn't feel like the 70s, but the fact that it won Best Picture is strange. Yeah. Right? Maybe that in itself is a little bit 70s. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Godfather Part um, 2. The I think only one sequel to win. I think One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest is like the first like movie to f- kind of embody uh, the spirit of the 70s. Yeah, I can see that. And then Rocky. The year when there was all kinds of anti-establishment <laughs> movies and they go with Rocky, which I love, by the way. I yeah. think it's a great movie. Oh, yeah. Then you get Annie Hall. Okay, mm-hmm. there we go. Then you get... Deer Hunter, Deer Hunter, and then you get Kramer versus Kramer, Kramer, which is where we are now. So it's this weird, it's a yeah. weird sensibility. I it feel is. like that happened a lot with this with the the '60s as well. But you ended with Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. Well, the '60s was like a ton of musicals for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> musicals and Midnight Cowboy. That's what the '60s is all about. That's true. Um, Tom Jones. Oh, we'll get to that. We'll get there. Don't you worry. Um. um but yeah, so Kramer versus Kramer, we have talked, uh, Josh mentioned this before we started recording. We have talked about this before. It was the companion film for Courageous. So if you want to hear us talk more about it, I forgot that go back to it was the companion for yeah. it. Cause there, there are movies about fatherhood and one was it's good true. and one was bad. Listeners, I'll let you figure out which is which. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, I first saw Kramer versus Kramer in high school. Um, mm-hmm. I think I was on something of a Dustin Hoffman kick. I thought he was a really wonderful actor, and indeed he was, uh, probably still is. Uh, on my Facebook page, I get inundated with ads for his, like, uh, acting school. Uh, really? Which, and I watched an ad for, and it, if I was an actor, I would, I would snatch that right up. Sign up in a heartbeat. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and so, I didn't really even know what it was about. I liked the idea of it. Uh, sorry, not the idea. I didn't even, I didn't know the idea. I liked the title. Kramer <laughs> versus Kramer. What does that even mean? I thought it was like spy versus spy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, then it does always makes me, th- make me think of a, I think it's a family guy joke. And for the most part, I think I don't like family guy now, but, mm-hmm. uh, they have a good joke every once in a while. They do every once in a while. And one of them was talking about Kramer versus predator being a movie. <laughs> so I always think of that. It's, That's uh, funny. 
uh, Al Pacino sitting across the table from Predator arguing about. Then we say Al Pacino. Do you mean Dustin Hoffman? Uh, Dustin Hoffman. Excuse okay. me. We've talked about Godfather, and I got to Yeah. And you just got oh, you got sucked in. Now, now I think, talk about the Godfather. I think everybody's Al Pacino now. Um, that's an odd <laughs> way to go. Um, yeah. So. Uh, so I really responded to it. I've seen it a couple times since then. I I respond more and more to it every time. Um partially because I think I got older. You know, I'm I'm friends with somebody right now who's in the midst of a pretty rough custody battle. Mm. And for a number of reasons, one of them is that he is not a woman. Uh, he's getting kind of the short end of the stick on the custody. Mm-hmm. And that is, and it's, it does seem strange that, you know, these days the words, you know, men's rights has a, has a lot of connotation to it. Yeah. But it's weird to think that one of the, but maybe one of the most legitimate connotations to the men's rights movement is, has to do with custody of children. Yeah. And um, it's, it's, <laughs> Should it seem a little strange that I feel like as far as the, the socio cultural climate towards that is kind of the same as it was in 1979? It is strange. Like, yes. I don't feel like that's changed at all. Yeah. Like this film could be, you know, I'd say this film could be made now, but I think people would call it sexist. Hmm. Um, that's interesting. Uh, because it's, it's favoring this man over this woman. It's like, Oh, you have no idea what women go through. You don't like this woman was in a very bad marriage and she was, you know, and she was neglected by this, by her husband and all that. She deserves to have her kid, all that, which there's an argument to be made there. I certainly mm-hmm. come to understand where she's coming from in the film. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so it's about this guy who, and man, I love the way this movie starts off. It starts with this guy's wife leaving him. Mm-hmm. Like you don't see, like 20 minutes of their marriage and then she decides to leave. I mean, it, it kicks off with him, you know, I think trying to, you know, get ready to go to work and all that. And then she says, okay, well I'm leaving. And then she does. And now he's not really sure what he has to do. Like he's Mm -hmm. still processing what's going on, but then he also has, I think an eight year old son that he has to deal with. I think somehow that the fact of it happening right away, I don't know why this is, but it feels like it puts you more in that, and that mindset of like, well, what am I supposed to do now? Like I have yeah. to actually do practical things about this. Like wh- what happens next? Yeah. And somehow it seems like it feels more like that starting out with it than it would if you, if you oh, waited yeah. to get in 15, 20 minutes into the film. Because were it to wait, then we, the audience would have something we could latch on to and say, oh, well, if Dustin Hoffman just does this. Right. But we don't know anything about her routine. No. And, and he almost, doesn't really either. Right. It's like it's as much of a surprise to us a little bit as it is yeah. to him. Yeah. And I think that's a wonderful way to start, you know, a wonderful and horrible way to start a movie, you know, yeah. just throwing him in to the middle of this. Um, and and so it's just basically the film is him bonding with his son I was going to say a son he never knew he had. He knew he had the, had him, but he had really no relationship with him. He yeah. was just he's always been a workaholic and that sort of thing. And now he has to take care of his son. And the progression of the of Dustin Hoffman's performance, I think, is beautiful yeah. because he genuinely early on, I feel like, yeah, 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 I love my son, but this is a huge hassle, and I'd rather not do this. Yeah. Um, like I was like, I prefer to love my son completely on my own timetable. <laughs> um, and it's, uh, and I think we kind of feel that too, to a certain extent. It's like, yeah, he's got to get to work. I get it. Um, right. 
and the kid does seem a little bit annoying. Uh, right. And the kid doesn't understand why he's a burden. Exa- yeah. You know, he's a kid. He doesn't get everything yeah. that's going on right now. And, uh, and then over the course of the film, like when they have these really meaningful moments, it's so touching and, and it feels, and it's so orga- organic as well. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I'm getting distracted. Josh is trying to fix his watch. What's going on over there? It's just, everything's fine. <laughs> okay. All right. Good. So, um, just put it down. Yes. I'm easily distracted, Josh, as you know. But uh, it is a nice watch, though. It is. So uh, <laughs> maybe I should cut that out. <laughs> um, I'll have time. A strange peek about behind it. the curtain. So uh, <laughs> I've lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. So uh, their relationship progresses in a, in a very natural, organic way. And you're excited about where they are in their relationship And then his wife comes back Mm -hmm. and now she wants custody. Yeah. She doesn't want to come back into their lives. She doesn't want to be entered back into the marriage. She just wants custody. She, the divorce is happening and she just wants custody of their son. Yeah. And I think that pacing is great too, because it comes at the, that comes at the right moment for you. Once you've suddenly started to feel like, you know what, this is going to work out. Yeah. Uh, they hit you with another obstacle. It's a film that keeps you on your toes. Yeah. Like from the beginning, it's like, okay, I don't know what to do. And it's like, okay, I think I've, I think I'm settling into something. Wait, what? Yeah. Now, it's like, I just got like the character himself. Like I just got used to this dynamic and really embracing it and loving it. And now you're going to take it away. And just the, the frustration of that. And, you know, and again, Dustin Hoffman, this is a film very much hinged on his performance, I think. And the way he reacts to it is, you know, a little bit violent. Like he doesn't get violent at her, but I think he like, smashes a, a, a glass or something like that and it's because and she has an argument by the way which is yeah you've been taking care of him for the last eight months to a year i took care of him for eight years before that and i took care of you even longer mm-hmm. and it's like just you know don't act like just because you spent the last year with him that you're the only parent that matters. And so I can definitely see her argument and she's played by Meryl Streep in an Oscar winning performance for mm-hmm. supporting actress. And who she's a decent actress. She Meryl does. Streep. All right. You know, sometimes if you like that kind of thing, you know, great <laughs> acting. Um, if you're into great acting and, uh, but you know, I feel like Meryl Streep, even when playing a villain, I tend to want to sympathize with her and, she plays this woman as pretty fragile and pretty broken. You know, I, I find myself early on. I want to hate her because look at the position she's put this guy in. And now she wants to come. Now she just moseys on back and wants the kid like you're in a position to, to dislike her. Mm -hmm. But then you realize that she was also in a pretty bad situation and caused by him. Yeah. And, so and then it's just like everything gets messy and you're like, oh, right. I, like suddenly you have I'm, to think of her as a person rather than something. Yeah. Then, then what she has represented up to this point. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and we, I mean, we're on his side cause it's his movie. Right. But at the same time, like as is the case with, with, uh, you know, including, I mentioned this friend of mine who's, you know, having custody issue with his own wife, like, he he gave me some of the details like okay i get it now i get why this is messy you mm-hmm. weren't always the good guy um and it just it just 
it's a film that that is very humanistic and very loving and i'm rooting for these relationships and it ends on kind of a hopeful note but it's so messy and it's uh, and so sticky and it's one of those things like i i am married i have not been divorced i know a number of people that have and i feel like it's it's a film that actually i mean think about how uh, this is hard to say like Think about how common divorce is, certainly now, um, and just if you know someone that's divorced, then they're, they're just divorced. Like it, there's no stigma to it, and I'm not saying we should necessarily stigmatize, but maybe talk about like a little bit. Like this is a bad thing, right? You know, this is a person that you pledged your life to, and they pledge their life to you, and then you realize, oh yes, this is incredibly difficult, and it is incredibly difficult. Um, And so, and then one party or the other are both deciding, you know what? You aren't worth it. I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. And of course that's bad enough with just two people. Now there's a kid involved and how does that mess things up? Because both of these parents, they may not love each other anymore, but they still love that kid equally. And so now what happens? And now you get the courts involved. Are Mm -hmm. you kidding me? And so it it is a film that and you know the idea of no fault divorce at the time of Kramer versus Kramer was still relatively new and so you know uh it's i don't know it, it it's a film that it that does feel very much of its time but in some cases ahead of its time like we said this is from the male point of view mm-hmm. um and then some people might say it's behind its time that it's like mm-hmm. oh sure yeah we now it's it's from the male's point of view again and now he's the good guy she's the bad guy it's like yeah but i feel like yeah it's going against like the 70 the 60s and 70s in film were all about like going against the norm and the norm was the wife or the mother gets primary custody and the dad just has to deal with it and probably foot a lot of the bill and so this was going against something uh, a trend in society yeah. and something that really had a, a negative impact on a number of of loving fathers yeah i would be curious to see how like film feminist film theorists look at this film whether they yeah. think it's a it's a you know a blight on cinema history or something i don't know yeah i don't know um but it's a movie that i that i really like i highly recommend it one best picture actor supporting actress director and adapted screenplay it was not it was nominated for supporting actor for the kid uh supporting actress for uh jane alexander uh who was uh, a big 70s actress uh, later she, changed her name to jason alexander and, oh my uh, gosh <laughs> so, yeah see bruce jenner you're not a trendsetter here no, it's been um, done. old hat and so uh yeah and so she plays a uh, sort of a I think a mutual friend of both and uh, both the uh, husband and wife. And so she does a great job. It was also nominated for cinematography and editing. I can't necessarily figure out why those other two, I don't remember it being a film that looks particularly amazing. Um, and I don't remember it being put together. I mean, I guess in certain scenes, you know, there is a, a, a quick pace or something like that. I don't know. I don't, hmm. I, I'm often fast on that year for cinematography. I don't. Uh, if I had to guess, I would say either Apocalypse Now or All That Jazz. Could have been Manhattan, too. Uh, that is also possible, yes. Um, I'm looking it up now. But um, but I will actually uh, use that to get us into the other Best Picture nominees, which were Apocalypse Now, All That Jazz, Breaking Away, and Norma Ray. Uh, I have seen parts of All That Jazz... 
I have not seen breaking. I've seen parts of Breaking Away. I've not seen any uh, Norma Ray. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. Apocalypse Now won cinematography. Got it. Um, so I, I've so really the only one I've seen all of is Apocalypse Now. So I feel bad saying this, but of those, if I had to guess, I would say Apocalypse Now is the one that deserved to win Best Picture. As much as I love Kramer versus Kramer, and I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Apocalypse Now is, uh, in my opinion, one of the 10 best movies of all time. Um, I can see that. It's an achievement that is, it, it's, it's a miracle. It's a miracle of a film. Mm. A film as, as epic as Apocalypse Now is, being as unstructured as it is, and yet still hanging together and not feeling like a fiasco, mm-hmm. being as narratively and emotionally and thematically as satisfying as it is, even though it seems as random as can be, which it's trying to be because it's about a war that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it can be that it's not platoon. This is a highly stylized depiction of war i mean yeah. when i think of i think of very specific you know yellows and reds like and then there are sometimes when they're just going down the river and it's a very naturalistic shot and just and other times when there's extreme imagery of marlon brando just bathed in darkness and shadow like it's just there's so much going on in apocalypse now it's such a marvelous wonderful film mm-hmm. and it's Every once in a while, I bring this up that it's kind of invigorating when you get a great director willing to embark on something that they're not 100% sure of, but they know they have to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a film that caused, I think, I think Martin Sheen had a heart attack. I think (laughs) Francis Ford Coppola, I think, almost had a heart attack or maybe did. I don't remember exactly. Like, that's the intensity level of this film. Um, And... Like I said, it's it's a little miracle of a movie. I yeah. I say little mirror. It's it's a giant it's film, <laughs> and it's a it's yeah. Uh, that's my own opinion. Your your thoughts on Apocalypse? I, now? I like it a lot. Although uh, I should cl- I should qualify, and I think it's I've said it on the show before, but the only time that I've seen that film, okay, uh, I'm I'm watching it, and I'm, I'm like, okay, this gets right into the action. I'm like enjoying it and everything like that, and then I get about. I don't know, hour and a half into it, maybe even less. And it looks like it's starting to wrap up. And I'm like, oh, that seems odd. Yeah, I guess it does get right into the action for you. Uh, And then it ended because I had watched it on VHS and I had watched the second tape first. Yeah. (laughs) So I went back and I did watch the first tape. So I have seen the whole thing, but I have never seen it all in order. I Which, think maybe that's something uh, you and I can make a priority. I, I, what do you I feel think? like I need to to remedy that. Yes. Um, I'm sure there might be certain people who would say that I've never actually seen it. Um, which might be a fair criticism. You watched it the way I watched the uh, TV miniseries It. Oh, really? Which I got on VHS, two mm-hmm. tapes. I threw in one. Because that the nature of that story is stuff. some, some stuff takes place in the 1950s. Uh-oh. And some in the 1980s. <laughs> and they basically do a pretty good job of like splitting it up. Like the first uh-huh. half is the 50s, second half is the 80s for the most part. Um, and so I threw in tape two. Here's the thing. It was in the wrong box. So yeah. I just threw it in. That might have been what happened with me as well. I don't remember. So I threw it in. And, you know, part two, because it was a miniseries, part two is also a, an a, a, it's a beginning it's not mm-hmm. like starting right in the middle of the action. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's still introducing us to, it's introducing us new to part two. New new things, yeah. yeah, yeah. It doesn't say part two. <laughs> and so I watch and I was like, 
you know, I, I remember thinking like, I feel like they're probably referencing something, <laughs> but you know what, whatever, I'll just go with it. These characters seem to know what they're talking about. <laughs> and then by, <clears throat> by the end, that's like, well, this seems pretty definitive. I wonder what part two is. And then I watch, I'm like, Oh, I get it. Mm, I'm it. angry now. Yeah. Um, that's also the way that my wife watched Godfather part two. Oh boy. Uh, for the first time. And she called me after she had seen it, not knowing that she hadn't watched the first part of it yet. And she hated it. And she was talking about how bad it was. It didn't make sense and things. And I was baffled. I was like, what are you even talking about? I mean, imagine if somebody saw a movie that even if Godfather two is not your favorite movie, you yeah. know, it's a very good movie. Yeah. Some to come and say like, I didn't like it at all. And talk about these problems with it that didn't exist like things like she didn't know anything about the characters and couldn't tell what was going on and like (laughs) she's like i really hated the part with the giant lizard that that tears into into tokyo it's like i think you might have watched the wrong film um so uh yeah well if nothing else what i take away from this is that you and i need to watch apocalypse now i haven't seen it in a long time and I suddenly realize I need to see it again. You haven't really seen it. Yeah. And so let's watch it together. We'll be are, best friends. Are you, are you a Redux person or no? I've seen both. The Redux is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think the stuff that's in there is necessary. It okay. certainly does. Because the Redux has a couple of changes here and there, and then one major sequence is included that was huh. not in the, that was not in the theatrical cut. Um, and that sequence doesn't add much to the story. It doesn't even really add much to character, but it adds to atmosphere and environment. And it's what's called the fr- the French plantation scene. Huh. Because, of course, Vietnam was previously, you know... Colonized by the French. Yeah. And by the time of the Vietnam War, most of the French were like, okay, I'm leaving. They just got out of there. And so what happens is these characters run across a, pl- a plantation with... Uh, owned by this French family who they are not leaving. Hmm. But they're also mostly cut off from the rest of the country. Hmm. And so these guys engage with them for a while. So it's like, a, I think, a 20-minute sequence, maybe, oh, even, wow. maybe even longer, maybe shorter. I don't remember exactly. But it's a whole sequence where – and he's basically – and it's very surreal because he said the whole idea of these people, it's like they're, they're basically ghosts and they don't even know it. Hmm. The world has completely passed them by. The world around them is nothing like what they're used to, but they still stay in this little plantation. They observe, you know, decorum. They still sit and have these nice dinners and all that. And it's, they're just like in complete denial of the way the world has changed. It's hmm. a, it's a really effective sequence. That sounds interesting. Um, but one that I can definitely see why it was removed. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, there's arguments to be made for both. Hmm. Um, so, okay. Looking at other 1979 releases, um, this is a pretty good year. Uh, a lot of movies that, uh, maybe not a lot of movies, but a, a handful of movies that we still watch to this day. Um, <coughs> for example, well, okay. There are movies that I really like that other people don't get, like care that much about. Uh, I'm a big fan of the China Syndrome. I think there's some really great acting in there, specifically by Jack Lemmon. Hmm. Um, and Justice for All, which is uh, features uh, Al Pacino. I think it's a Norman Jewison film. Uh, I like that a lot. I still have never, not to this day, I have not seen Being There. I've heard it's marvelous. I think that's one you'd like a lot. Yeah, I think so, too. Th- that's, uh, a, that's a strange but very good movie. I have seen being uh, sorry. I have seen Manhattan as of you undoubtedly. I like Manhattan. Um, I like it. Don't love it. Mm. Um, 
of course, then you get Alien, you get Star Trek, the motion picture, you get the Muppet movie, The Jerk, Mad Max, Monty Python's Life of Brian, Herzog's Nosferatu, you get Stalker, uh, The Tin Drum, The Warriors. Um, so you got some good German movies that I know that year. 79 was a good year for Germans, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Yeah. That's weird. But, um, yeah. And so looking at this, um, there are movies that I think probably could have been nominated for best picture. Um, I think Manhattan probably there's an argument to be made that it could have been nominated. It almost seems surprising that it wasn't, but then again, like it may be more a thing of today that almost every Woody Allen movie is considered for best picture. But at the same time, like, I mean, this is only two years after Annie Hall. Manhattan feels like Annie Hall in some cases. And maybe people thought like, well, we've done this already at the Oscars. Maybe yeah. there was a sense that because because they are similar movies, at least tonally. Yeah. Um, I think I probably like Annie Hall more. I, I think I do, too. Um, um, but I'm, I'm trying to think that Annie Hall was probably the beginning of his movies that were about. They were mainly about a Woody Allen character and the relationships that he's in. Like mm-hmm. kind of everything before that is is the zanier comedy stuff. And yeah. there's hints of it in there. But uh Annie Hall was really about that and maybe maybe the most personal one for him mm-hmm. but then a lot of these other ones are kind of similar in that like I don't know Manhattan is a lot about his romantic foibles <laughs> foibles, foibles is a good a, word for yeah it, that's yeah. pretty um, euphemistic but that's fine <laughs> also I think looking back at Manhattan now I think his relationship with uh is it Muriel Hemingway yeah uh means something a little bit different than it did yeah, in I, and that, I think that's kind of what gets me is yeah. uh, in watching it and just thinking like, oh boy, this is yeah rough. Um, isn't that Dree Hemingway's mother? What was that? Isn't isn't she Dree Hemingway's mother? I don't know who Dree Hemingway is. She was in Starlet, and uh, I guess she's a model, but she has started being in a lot of films. She was in the new Noah Baumbach film too. Oh, okay. Um, part of me feels like it's just uh, it's just that. Uh, art directors nowadays or, or filmmakers who at least like to think of themselves as art directors uh, get some kind of high out of working with someone who's related to Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> sure, why not? Could be. That doesn't mean that they're working with Ernest Hemingway. Sure doesn't, but... Oh, well. That name's um, in the movie. But, uh, okay, so... Uh, now... Looking at, looking at these, there's not... Like I said, there's not a whole lot that seems like they could be best picture... Although I will say this, part of me feels like if you if you were to just squint and look a certain way, Monty Python's Life of Brian is kind of best picturey. You know what I mean? Like if Doctor Strangelove can be nominated, then certainly this film, which has an epic quality to it, it's a period piece, and yes, it's very funny, and uh, maybe it was a little too controversial. Uh, people really did hate it at the time, mm-hmm. but. Um, but it's a film that I actually respect a great deal, and I feel like definitely captures the spirit of the seventies. Um, I don't know. I'm just trying to think outside the box a little bit. There's some there's some surprising and potentially unsettling uh, full frontal nudity, which isn't isn't typical for your uh, best picture winners. I guess so. Um, Is it unsettling? What's unsettling about it? Because it's Brian. No, but it's it's like. <laughs> It's it's played for laughs because yes. it's like full frame. This is what you're looking at. This yes. is what everybody's looking at. It is admittedly unexpected. <laughs> yes, 
but, uh, yeah. And so, um, yeah. And then, so I will also say that probably my favorite movie of this year, much as I love apocalypse now, and I do, I think my favorite movie of this year is alien. I think it's mine too. Um, there are several others in here that I love. I love stalker. Um, I like the Tindrum a lot too. Uh, I like Nosferatu a lot. I like this version of it. Um, but Alien is, I mean, we were just talking about that before we even started recording just mm-hmm. because there's, there's a lot to talk about with that movie and there's, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel so seventies. No, it doesn't. Aside from uh, some shaggy haircuts. Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't like even star Wars, which I think has a, has a very timeless quality to it. That feels more seventies to alien that to me than alien does. If that makes sense. Well, I, I wonder if it's because we do live in a time now when Alien has been around a while and has influenced the way science fiction and maybe pop culture outlook is in general, which is mm-hmm. suspicious of corporations, hopeless, <laughs> uh, bureaucratic, and uh, a certain lack of humanity. I feel mm-hmm. like Alien had such an impact on the way movies are made. Yeah. Uh, that I think it seems timeless now because it has, because ever since then people have been approximating that. Yeah. Well, and I think there's something about how there were so many ways in that film that Ridley Scott chose to do something different than what everyone would have expected. Yeah. Like he, the whole truckers in space thing. Like he, he chose to make everything look that way and nothing before that had looked that way and everything after has been copying it. Yeah. And the way that he chose to shoot it like a horror film which a lot of people say it just is a horror film, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I, I think, fine. But the fact that he took a movie about an alien attacking a spaceship and made it look like a a slow-paced horror film, like he chose to take yeah. the, the, the beats and the timing and all that stuff. Uh, I mean, I, there are other Ridley Scott movies that I like, maybe, maybe two, but uh, I don't know that he's directed anything better than he directed Alien. Yeah, no, I don't think so. As much as I do love Blade Runner, um, mm-hmm. it's, and I think also by choosing, I think a lot of the art direction by going with somebody like Giger, right. who his stuff was cutting edge in the sixties and it's cutting edge now. Yeah. You look at it now and it can make you uncomfortable. Yeah. When I went to the Giger museum in Switzerland to be in the midst of it, cause it's one thing to look at images on the screen. It's another to have sculptures <laughs> Yeah, and you're in the same physical space with them, including some life-size alien uh, that I'm just looking at. And it's like, Oh boy, I, I think I've said this elsewhere, but it's like, I recognize objectively that this thing is not going to grab me. <laughs> However, I'm going to the other room. <laughs> oh no, there's another one in here. There were four of them total. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, it's, I do feel like alien it's so, uh, listeners, I, again, this is going up, probably like two months after we record it, but, uh, the, uh, the alien commentary for battleship pretension is still available, uh, in which we tie do, in. Yeah. We do commentaries <laughs> for all four alien movies in the anthology. Um, and, uh, that's available for $10, but in it, so we just recorded it as, as of this recording. And so alien has been very much on my mind. And the more I think about it, the more I feel like alien is coming very close mentally to cracking my top 10 hmm. 
it's getting there. I can see that. I've been working my way through uh, a new top hundred and I've right now I'm just going with like the largest list possible and then I whittle it down. And if alien doesn't make my top 10, I think it'll probably be in my top 15, certainly my top 20. Like every time I see it, it's just like, man, this movie is so good. Like it's, it's, I don't know why I am. I'm responding with anger now at how good it is. Like how, and, and that is one that when you, uh, I said apocalypse now is something of a miracle. I feel like alien is too. When you look at the making of, and you realize how many ways it could have gone horribly wrong mm-hmm. right from the conception of it, when mm-hmm. it was almost going to be a Roger Corman movie. Yeah. Like that's, although I will say that Dan O'Bannon who wrote the script, it was his idea to have like, let's get some HR Giger designs in here. So, at the very least, certainly wouldn't have felt the same. It wouldn't have looked the same. It wouldn't have had the same scale. But there are certain elements that probably would have been retained. But I still don't. But I don't think anybody would know about it. Hmm. I don't think it would have gotten any kind of theatrical release, and I don't think people would have cared. But um, but yeah. So I think my personal favorite movie of '79 is Alien. Uh, I think maybe the best movie of '79 is Apocalypse Now, and I would say probably by a pretty wide margin. In my that. opinion. Yeah, I can see that. So, um, okay. So the next film we will be talking about is The Deer Hunter, which I will need to rewatch because I remember almost nothing about it um, except a wedding mm-hmm. and Russian roulette. Hey, some people say it's the same thing. Am I right? Anyway, so um, <laughs> I'm a best man at a, at a wedding giving a toast. <laughs> Did I do that voice at your... At your wedding, it could have been. Yeah, I was not maybe. the best man, but I and I and I gave a, a toast or a little speech at the rehearsal dinner. But mm-hmm. uh, and I think, I think yours is the only one I ever did this at, and I've given a fair number of wedding speeches at this point. Um, I was so t- by the time I got to your wedding, I was so tired of the the standard wedding jokes mm-hmm. that I just I rattled three of them off quickly. And I wanted to do it. I wanted to make sure my speech was first so that anybody who might have done those jokes later <laughs> would feel shamed into not doing them. <laughs> you know, it's important to want to, to make a difference in this life. <laughs> so anyway. All right. Uh, so, yeah, we'll leave it there. Uh, thank you all very much for listening. Josh, thank you for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye.